0: I made a, an online platform, which was like an OTT platform for my pedagogy, which I started named and started calling it the Radha Kalpa Method about two years ago. Come from a cumulative knowledge that comes from acting, from yoga, from Pilates, from Alexander Technique, a lot from me studying anatomy and physiology, and a lot from just my own experience of dancing and, and performing and practicing again and again.
1: Namaste and welcome to Indian Artpreneur, I am your host Shwetnag. On today's episode, we have Rukmini Vijay Kumar, who is the Artistic Director of Radha Kalpa Dance Company and the Director of Lashwa Studios, a creative space for artists in Bangalore. She is the founder of the Radha Kalpa Method, an educational system for Bhartanatyam that is based on the idea of neutrality. Also as an actor, Rukmini has been recognized for the roles that she has played in a number of Indian films and theatre performances. Graduate of the Boston Conservatory, Rukmini's process of creation is both traditional and contemporary. Rukmini was bestowed the title of Arsha Kala Bhushanam by Swami Dhyanand Saraswati. So let's catch up Rukmini Vijay Kumar. Hi Rukmini, welcome to Indian Art
0: Hi i'm glad to be here
1: so my first question to you is in 2002 you get admission into carnegie Mellon for architecture but you defer the admission for two years what was the reason for that
0: um there were so many reasons i think i'd started dancing a lot uh, before that and um, and by a lot i mean like really a lot like i i was actually one year younger than the normal graduating class. So I was 17 when I finished uh, 12th or second PUC, as you would call it in India. And uh, so because I was 17, my mother was very hesitant to send me to university when I was 17. So she had said that I can't go that that year. So I have to do whatever I want, uh, but I can't go for a year. And after a lot of tears and fighting and shouting and seeing what's the use of me uh, being smart and skipping a grade when finally it comes down to you not allowing me to study. She's like, you can go to a college in India if you want, but I will not send you anywhere uh, because you're you're not, a leave- you're not even the leave- legal age and you can't stay by yourself and all of this. And... Um, my entire family studied abroad you know like um, most of my mom's family lives in the u.s and i mean just by virtue of uh, being there when we were there when we were younger but we moved back so everyone else um, went to you know the entire milieu of fancy universities over there and um, my brother was in carnegie Mellon as well and that was my lobbying point he's there so where can i go but uh, the point was uh, she said nothing doing you can't go because he's gonna be doing his own thing. you're not gonna see each other and I mean, there's no way you you know it was I was uh, horrib- horrified and I, I mean I was you know how teenagers are. now looking back, I can laugh, but I mean, I was really very very upset um, so that yeah, I mean I was already dancing a lot and even in my 11th and twelfth, I missed a lot of classes and I mean, I didn't even write any exams other than the final exam in my 11th Uh, because I was dancing, going to some dance competitions. Dance class had something. Then we would travel for some show. And, you know, so there was uh, between the age of, I think, 13 and 16. And I had also started going to Sundariyaka for Karanas. So I had multiple dance teachers by then. I had started doing ballet again because this um, lady who was uh, from the UK, she'd moved to India. And I mean, I wanted to do ballet. And um, so I was learning with Padmini Auntie, uh with uh, Sundariyaka and Yana. And then I was going to yoga class. So there, was, there were so many things happening. So she said, why don't you just dance for a year? You can go next year if you want. So, I mean, I deferred once. Because obviously, I'd gotten into university and then my mother wouldn't let me go, which is unheard of, right? Um, and I also had such a big scholarship. Like, I was like, I had 50% scholarship, like, you're crazy and yes. all these things. You mean, the, you know, the whole exchange, how it'll be. So, I, um, <laughs> basically, I, I wasn't allowed. And um, so, I stayed back and I continued to dance in this, in this dance practice, which had already intensified, Um, from my 10th, from from when I was 14 till I was 17, so 10th, 11th, 12th, it had become more and more and more. Um, And I was dancing more hours, missing more school. And uh, it's a surprise that I got into Carnegie Mellon despite all of that. So so she said, uh, uh, so I stayed back and I basically, I danced morning to night. And I have an obsessive Uh, personality and if I want to do something I will just do that relentlessly so my days would start at like 5 a.m. I'd go to yoga class and my little car I had an electric car you know those revas yes exactly (laughs) so an electric car and um, I would put all my clothes in the car you know like my leotards my tights uh, two salvas my gym clothes um, sneakers, everything. The car had everything. I would have some like, you know, dry fruits and all this for snacks and water. And um, I would just go from teacher to teacher. And also Bangalore didn't have traffic there. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. which, was, which was amazing. It would have been impossible at this time, you know, like Bangalore of today, it wouldn't have been possible. So, I would go to Jainagar. From Jainagar, I would go to Banchankri to um, Sundari Akka. If Narvadanti had scheduled, then I would go directly to her. If not, I would go to my ballet class, like somewhere in um, on MG Road with Yana, then I would come back to Banshankri. And all of this would be done before four o'clock. So I would have like already four classes of two hours, three hours each. Then I would go to the gym, um, go do whatever I needed to do or what I thought I needed to do at that time. Um, and then finish my workout, come back home, maybe late or maybe go back to Narmada Aunty or go back somewhere and come back. And I would dance at night. Like, whatever my teachers had taught me, I had, like, a crazy obsessive personality, so I would begin dancing at, like, 7 or 8, whenever I finished. And sometimes I remember myself, like, being awake at, like, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, being really tired, falling asleep on the hall... Then getting up again, trying to finish what what I had to finish for practice for that day. And then I would get up again and do the same thing. And I don't think I got tired of it. um, Because I would go on and on and on. And um, so I did that for a year. And now I said, okay, I'm ready. I can go to Carnegie Mellon now. Uh, I'm 18. And uh, at that time, I think both my parents joined in. And they said, see, you know, you like dancing a lot and you've been dancing, why don't you consider this? I said, I'll dance, you know, I'll go to school, I'll come back, I'll dance in the evenings, there's no problem. Because I had a very nerdy mentality. I was like a real proper nerd. You know, like I loved math and physics and not um, differential calculus. I was a very nerdy, nerdy person. You wouldn't think I would turn out an artist. (laughs) Even my... If you, even if you saw my uh, school friends and all, of, I mean, I definitely had an artistic side all the time because I was always lost in imagination. I would, I, like, I would always be imagining things, always, you know? So I've, I've, I've had a very, how uh, would you say, filled imagination from when I was a kid. Um, and, um, but, I, I mean, I never thought this was an option. You know, like being a dancer. And so my parents said, I think you can defer again if you want to, you know, and you can maybe consider this an option. And uh, my dad was a bit neutral, um, but uh, my mom was more insistent. I think it was also her ploy to keep me in India. (laughs) But, but, uh, and not send me at all. But, but then again, I, I deferred and then I deferred. So, after that, you can't defer more than twice. So, then you have to make a choice of either giving up that and taking it. So, that the following year, when it was my last chance to defer, I said, uh, okay, I've been dancing morning to night. Let me also apply to two dance schools. Uh, so, I applied to only three. Normally, universities, you do like about 10 or 12, Right. So, I said, no. I said, I have Carnegie Mellon anyway. And I know I can go there. I will apply to three places. If I get in, that means it's, you know, like God's way of saying, hey, maybe you can go. Otherwise, it's basically saying, forget it. Just go and be an architect and lead a normal life and dance on the side. So, um, I applied to the Boston Conservatory. Uh, which was my first choice, because I don't know, I just liked how it was. Like, we were small. I like smaller places. And, um, and then I applied to NYU and then uh, Wesleyan. Um, I, got, I didn't get into NYU. I didn't get into school. But I got into the conservatory and I got into Wesleyan. So my mom is like, um, because I was tending toward the Western arts, you know, now like I was doing ballet and modern. My mom suddenly was like, no, 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 don't act. Is better you go to Wesleyan. <laughs> Wesleyan has a Bharatatiam program. You can do that. And then you can also do your sciences. You know, she so was suddenly having like, uh, no, no, no. But I was adamant. I was like, no. Like, if I go, I will go to the conservatory. Because that is the best school for dance. Otherwise, I go to Carnegie Mellon. Because that's better for yeah. architecture. Like, I'm not going to do a midway, which is a half and half. So, uh, and I would, if I'm doing Bharatnatyam, why will I go to Wesleyan? I would just stay here and go to my teachers right. who I already like. And not just like, but I love them. So, I'm, I'm not going to go all the way to Wesleyan and do Bharatnatyam again. So, I said, um, I will go to the conservatory. So, after a bit of a struggle, that's why. That's why the whole thing. That's why I went to the conservatory. And that's why I did, um, I majored in ballet and modern.
1: Could you share us your experience at Boston Conservatory. What were, whatever the plans you had in your mind, did it match your requirements there?
0: I think it was fantastic for me. Like it was amazing because I had a vocabulary that was that I was comfortable with, right? With Bharatanatyam. And I was doing it from when I was five or six years old. I was exposed to it culturally. So even if there were times I didn't do it, I was watching it because we were from a very traditional family, we were always listening to Carnatic music, Hindustani music, my cousins were playing, like someone was playing tabla, someone would be learning violin, someone learning veena, someone learning to sing, so like I, w- I was always surrounded by this, you know, so obviously I gravitated easily towards Bharatanatyam, things were, uh, I understood it easier, uh, I understood rhythm easier, I understood the stories easier, everything was, um, I mean, because of the cultural environment I grew up in, um, I was comfortable in that, right? And I had started doing ballet again in my teens, which was like maybe like I was 15 or 16. I'd started doing it again. again. Um, but it was still alien in my body. I was flexible because I, I did yoga from when I was a kid. And uh, so flexibility definitely helped me. And I was stubborn and pig-headed. So that helped me like bridge a, a number of years, but it's still, it was still alien in my body in the sense that I wasn't comfortable like I was with Bharatmatyam. And that was nice. It was great because it, it brought to me so many challenges. I learned so much about my body. I learned about anatomy and awareness and um, developing pedagogy and, um, because we studied Bali and modern pedagogy and how that... You know how these different pedagogies were developed. Like whether it was Graham or Taylor or any of them. And uh, the best part was I didn't have to drive between classes. <laughs> that was like the best part okay. for me. Because three years I spent like driving between classes and scheduling everything. So it was a relief to not have to schedule anything. That I could just go to one place and dance from morning to night and that was i mean i i thought it was the biggest privilege that i could have got at that time you know so i valued it truly i never skipped class i would i don't know i was yeah, I, I i really loved the experience of being there it was very challenging but i i really really enjoyed it yeah
1: did they teach any subjects related to arts management during this four year course no no it was only Not arts really.
0: Okay. So, because it's uh, conservatories work largely with um, making you a performer. So, like with Juilliard or the Boston Conservatory, New England, all of these places, they mainly um, make you get on stage. You know, because our bodies are have a limited window of time, and they want you to maximize that performance, um, the number of years that you can stay on stage. So they mainly train you to work with your body. So we would have uh, somatic technique class, ballet, uh, modern. So two-hour classes. Somatic technique would be like an hour, then ballet for two hours, modern for two hours, partnering for an hour and a half. Then we'll have like one stylist class, which would be like, um, I don't know, jazz, tap, whatever. That was the only class that we could choose. And then um, the evenings would all be spent in movement things like, laban or choreography or you know things like that and we had a few theory subjects like a few subjects not too many um like music um and uh, there was some literature but those are all like very minimal in terms of the number of hours spent on them so i can't even remember like we had dance history but it'd be once a week for one semester you know but ballet and this thing all this was every day so, it's not like we didn't do. So, like, we did anatomy. But the anatomy, I mostly studied outside of my college. I went to Boston University to study that. But in my own uh, um, school, which was a the conservatory, I uh, we did, like, one semester of anatomy, which is enough. It's good enough to know your body. Um, but it's not like a detailed study, which which I did because I wanted to. So, but I... The fact is that it exposed me to all these things, and I learned um, a lot about space, and I don't know, looking at things differently, um, about developing movement from my own body as opposed to a structured vocabulary. Um, I learned how to see space differently, you know, like rather than in lines and frontality. So, um, and. I think that was very nice because I, I started um, seeing my Bharatanatyam differently and because everything fed into my Bharatanatyam and it still feeds into my Bharatanatyam. So yeah, so I, I really enjoyed it, yeah. Uh,
1: you have performed as a soloist around the world, including Jacobs Pillow Festival, Dry NYC, and recently you played Goddess of Love in Sukanya, produced by the Royal Opera House in London. Did you ever imagine that you would be performing on all these stages?
0: Uh, no, not really, actually. <laughs> I um, I think with performance and the places I performed, um, they happened. Uh, I think they happened organically, in a way. Um, I... I always just want to dance better. I, it, it sounds weird, but I'm, I'm most obsessed with dancing better rather than where I dance next. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but even after I came back from college, um, for a few years, I didn't even want to, like my mom would say perform or go and dance. But I was happy to be like, no, no, I'm not ready. I want to practice some more. I'm not ready. I want to practice some more. My mom and some of my my teachers pushed me a bit to go and uh, start performing. And I I obviously see the value in that now. And I know that I would do the same for my students. But um, I think it served me well to be obsessed with my own dancing. Um, I, I, I can see how it helped me now because I'm a teacher now. So I can see how it helped me um, to have that um, I don't know, to have that mindset to because I, even now when I watch a video of mine, I always I watch it intently and my husband will always say like your own video you'll be watching like without moving. And he's like that's not why I'm watching for mistakes. I'm watching to see, where I went wrong, where I missed a thalam, if my feet didn't join, if my shoulder lifted, or if I, you know, if I did something strange with my neck, or you know, so I, or if the emotion didn't convey. So, um, so I, so I constantly watch to check because I, I feel like there's no limit to growth um, in that way.
1: Because for. Video productions, it's one thing you could always correct and do retakes. But for stage performances, it is kind of locked, right? So maybe the next time you do it, only you have to.
0: Correct. The thing is that I don't think I, I get demotivated because I know I did my best. I do feel upset if I took it for granted. Like I remember one show... I took it for granted because it was a very short show like it was half an hour and half an hour is a no brainer for me physically speaking like I can get up and dance for half an hour anytime after I've run 15 kilometers I can get up and dance for half an hour it's really not an issue you know so um, I was like oh fine I'll be fine Seven hours, and I know the pieces and I did have a very hectic schedule and I traveled a lot I hadn't slept and I came back and I accepted that show. I accepted the show because I figured I'll be okay, you know because and but I wasn't okay because i was I was tired and I felt really bad it's I didn't dance badly, but I danced badly for me, like so nobody would have noticed in the audience if they have never seen me dance before so um. So in terms of emotively, I would have been fine. But physically, I, w- I wasn't in the place where I expect myself to be. So at that time, I yes, I do feel bad. But let's say I worked really hard. I've done all my practice. And um, I didn't take anything for granted. And I went on stage. And I made some mistakes. Okay, fine. All right. I know what to fix next time. That's okay. Um, so it it doesn't demotivate me people think that you're constantly being critical of yourself but you have to be Um, being critical of yourself is important for growth the moment you become complacent or if you're very happy with what you've done where's the room to grow then you know if you think oh my god I'm amazing that is fantastic I'm the best dancer in the world then (laughs) then where are you gonna become better? Like you're never gonna be better. So I, so yeah, so I I don't think as long as my last, the last time I performed was the best time, I'm okay. So then I know that I'm still going up and not down.
1: (laughs) No, very well put. Coming to your entrepreneurial venture, Radha Kalpa Dance Company, when and how did you start this? I started
0: it in 2009. Um, I was young and very starry-eyed and had um, great visions uh, (laughs) for something. And obviously, things don't turn out exactly how you you expect, you know, because you don't know. Honestly, I think that in your 20s, you don't know anything. Uh, But it's a time where you think you know everything, which is the best thing, right? So you think you know everything, so you try everything, uh, but only after you're 30, you realize what all you failed at and why. <laughs> so um, so that's when I started it. And it started off really well because I was dancing with my friend, uh, Pashanath in a duet. And um, it started really nicely because we started, we used to push each other as performers and challenge each other, compete constantly. So it was... I really liked that because it's nice to have someone, especially when you're trying to learn, it's nice to have someone to do that with. And um, for two years, we did it together. And then people started seeing us only as a duet. Do you know what I mean? So they only see us as a duet, which is not really a good thing if we need to start establishing ourselves artistically, Correct. you know, Correct. individually. So, um, and we'd also started teaching, and we started teaching together. But by the end, and we we tried to make a group and an ensemble uh, more so from my my crazy aspirations than, than his. I think I think he he was a bit more practical, so he was a bit too much. But uh, I. So we did a group thing and I did a show and all that, but I was completely drained at the end of it because I don't think I was ready for it at that time. And um, I was not entrepreneurial enough. um, And I possibly didn't have the maturity to handle so much. Um, My personal growth, plus the growth of four or five other dancers, plus staging, plus performance. So it ended, it kind of ended with a bang in some ways. Like we did a festival that had, I mean, Looking back, I don't even know how I did it. And we had um, that in the span of two weeks, I we choreographed like one ensemble piece on Radha, one duet piece. Everything was based on Radha, uh, of Tanai. Then uh, one um, contemporary piece, one improvisational piece. Then some art thing like making dolls. is good at painting, so I, I was good at stitching and craft. So was like, we'll do everything based on Radha. And then we'd also done a storytelling thing for kids. So imagine there were so many things that were made. Um, uh, and some with like the students we had, some with the dancers. And we did multiple shows of each thing within the space. So every day we had one or two things. And it was, I, I don't, if I look at the schedule now, like I think I found that flyer somewhere. I was like, I don't even know how I did it. But you're, you're young and stupid, yes. right? So you don't know. Um, you don't know that I <laughs> have the passions. But I was completely drained from it. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. So the end of that, I was like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. I want to dance alone. I want to be alone. And um uh, and, and I had also decided at that time to start dancing okay. alone for a little while. Because um, artistically, it's not good for us, you know, in the long run. So I, um, so that was separate of this, but with this whole teaching and all that, I was like, I'm stopping teaching okay. also. So I stopped teaching. I didn't work in ensemble. I just blanket suspended everything for three years. So though Kalpa started with a bang, it also like like shut with a bang, <laughs> bang. <laughs> okay. at that time. It didn't re- it didn't really shut, but I kind of suspended like the, all these okay. activities for a while. Um, And that's how it started. But then after that, after three, four years, like I think 2014, I started again. And 2013, I started, I made an ensemble work which toured, which was commissioned and that went well. In 2014, I made another ensemble work which was again toured and commissioned. So the company had started getting a place uh, without me having to do this full time.
1: I see. Okay.
0: You know, like I didn't have to take care of things all the time, right? It was a period of Two months, three months, um, freelance dancers came I worked with them. And 2014, I started teaching okay. again. Um, so so the company's had its up and downs. We had a really good few years uh, when eight dancers joined me and they were all my students. So then I didn't work with on dance, uh, freelance dancers for a little while after that. Then I did Dark Lord again with freelance dancers. But then I had an influx of like a bunch of students. Like I had like so many people wanting to join my class. And it so happened that they were also my students. And the company just organically formed again by virtue of these dancers, being there all the time. And um, between, I want to say, now it's 2020. I'm very bad with years. Between 2017 and 19, I made Nayani, Dark Lord, Amargam in Ensemble, um, an immersive work. I re-staged So I did five full-length ensemble works on these dancers. Yeah. So it was creatively like a lot. I also made a lot of solo works at that time. So it's like I was constantly working. We had a lot of, um, we had a summer intensive starting. So we had teachers from all over uh, the country come and students from all over the world come. So we had three summer intensives. Um, Then I had one summer intensive in the U.S. also, uh, which went well. So, and the space, we started doing performance series and so many things started happening and um, then the pandemic happened, so now there's nothing. So, (laughs) yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Now, how did you select this name Radha Kalpa Dance Company?
0: Radha Kalpa Dance Company, I, I, uh, I grew up listening to all this Vedanta, actually. Well, from when I was a kid. So we used to go to uh, uh, Swami the talks on Bhagavad Gita. So I think from, I don't know, from before I could speak probably. Uh, from, so my mom used to go from when she was a kid. So her mom parents used to take her and then my parents took us. Um, and so I think I always had that kind of bend to like, you know, like uh, inquisitiveness on this idea of Advaita or this philosophy or what we have so um, now I know a little bit more but at that time I I mean it's whatever I knew I always was enamored with the idea of the Lila and how for every um, Gopika there's a Krishna and um, yeah. and that's one of the reasons why I feel like dancing also because I can be closest to myself and it came from a limited understanding let's say but i wanted to name my dance company after this idea of um, that purusha and paramatma and that idea of uh, also of advaitic philosophy where there is no separateness or distance between the jiva and the Ishwara. and i saw i saw it best represented in radha and krishna for me so I just call it Radha Kalpa. Yeah.
1: Now, uh, could you tell us something about your studio, Lushwa Studios? How did that come into picture? Uh,
0: so I had the dance company, and uh, things had started going well with the company, and I started teaching and all of that. Um, and at that time, I um, and I started all these. Uh, uh, I wanted to again, right? Well, I was in my late twenties still. So I think that that's why you have all these idealistic visions, which is amazing. I think it's great. But I I wanted to, um, I had this vision of a space, which was, um, because I come from multiple backgrounds. I do theater and I act and I love acting. And I, I'm a Bharatnatyam dancer. And I, I, I consider myself a very traditionalist Bharatnatyam dancer. Um Yes, I innovate and I create, but I I know my tradition, like I and I love it. I'm not someone who wants to break away from t- tradition. I, I want to embrace it in some ways, you know. Um, so I so I have I have this theatre background, then I have this Bharatnatyam background, and I also have this background of being a modern contemporary dancer, you know. And for me, these three worlds. Although now they come together, because I feel like they come together the more you know them. But the less you know them, when you try to mix, they become like an arbitrary, like a forced mixture, you know. Um, Sometimes I think of it like cooking. Like, if you know, like you're making a pizza, and then you know it has ketchup, and you have this, and you have some seasoning. And you really don't know how to mix the flavors properly, if you don't know them well enough. Uh, but the see where they go and but amazing chefs mix the most crazy flavors together and they work because they know them really really well so they know the, the root and they know where it where it overlaps and how it can happen you know so I never wanted to make that fusion like you know like a a forced mixture of anything. So I kept these three worlds very separate. And I also saw the artists from these three worlds existed in separate conglomerates, you know, like they very rarely mixed with one another at that time, I'm saying. Now Bangalore is a little bit more overlapping, like it's quite a bit more um, overlapping. But at, like 10 years back, it was not like that um, as much as it is now. Um so I, I, I called I call a couple of friends of mine, a friend of mine who was a wonderful contemporary dancer, another friend who was a color artist, and another one who was good at yoga and all of this. And I, and I said, see, I want to make a space which is cohesive and where people can come. Uh, I, would, I imagined artists relaxing there, making stuff, going to the rehearsal studio, coming back, using the library. And um, I wanted to be a space for artists. That's why I named it separately from my dance studio. That's why I called it Lashwa, And I didn't want my artistic biases to enter into that space because every artist has biases. And I thought, I don't even want my own biases to be in my own space. So I wanted to be a space. That's why I say I called it a space for artists, um, not Rukmini Vijay Kumar's dance studio. So um, so it was. it started off like that, but it was very though the idea is great and i think i would definitely go back to it when i'm when i'm possibly older and retiring from my solo performance career i think it was very difficult for me to manage administratively um as a soloist performer and a teacher so the over the the first t- three years we really pushed it pushed the workshops pushed this like The performance series and uh, we had these things called work in progress showcases, which I did in combination with another space in Bangalore. So we had like so many ideas and so many things I wanted to do. Um, But it was very, very hard. Like I was I already worked morning to night and it was just it was just too much for me. And uh, every time I brought in someone administratively, it was not working out because I don't think they were committed to the idea as much. They didn't feel like it and people who are more experienced we couldn't afford them and so so then I said okay fine let's see where it goes and um, my friends also had other commitments so they didn't really stick around with being with the space the whole time all the time because it's not possible you know so I, then the space changed a bit I continued to call it Lashwa I retained some of the things that worked and I said, let me center all the activities more towards classical dance and Bharatnatyam. That way, it's easier for me to handle. And I also have a ready population that will come, which is when we started the last intensive. Uh, we continued the performance series, um, the work in progress showcases. There were some things that we kept, but all the other workshops that we kept doing, uh, that contemporary dance workshop every month, acting workshop every month, all those things we kind of stopped. And... Um, I would do a contemporary dance workshop, but I would also see how many of the existing dancers in the studio wanted to sign up. So there would be some um, interest from within the population of students itself. And then we would open it up. So then I it became entrepreneurially more viable uh, in terms of sustaining because otherwise it was just, I would perform solo, collect the money and then put everything into this. So it, it wasn't really working out um, in terms of you know, sustainability and like uh, thing. and uh, the last uh, one and a half years I think two years maybe it it started finding a balance because I made some of these changes and um, uh, so and I I still have that idea and I would like to kind of maybe engage and create a space that is cohesive like that but I know that now is not the time because I I do want to prioritize um, my performance when people still want to see me on stage.
1: But when you have these ideas of making this uh, studios, you know, Lashwa studio or anything, how did you think about funding this? One is idea, the second half is the funding part of it.
0: Okay. Basically, I don't think. That's, that's <laughs> part of it. <laughs> it was very simple. It's just simple math. So I said, I want to do a studio. So I said, okay, let me teach... To, see, now I'm comfortable living myself with performance money, right? So what I make from performing, I, I'm i okay with that for my life. So if I teach, that will be extra money. This was my logic when I started it. So my, my family actually had an intervention when I said I'm doing a studio. They're like, you're crazy. You're just going to run into like thing. You'll be working all the time. So I said, okay, 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 hold off. I won't get a space until... I make enough money from teaching to pay rent. That was my logic. So I said I'll make enough money from teaching to pay rent. Then I'll get a space. And once I can pay rent with teaching, then I can start doing some other activities and all that. But it, they were—it's true. You don't make a studio to make money. Like you just put in. It's not a. It's not a business proposition. Like I'll never make back the money I invested in the space. Like, I have sprung floors, I have a nice studio, I have thing. But, I mean, I don't, I don't care, it's fine. Like, a lot of artists have come, they've danced. I can dance there every day. Um, my little children who dance have their knees protected because they're dancing on a sprung floor. So, it's a labor of love when it comes to the arts. Yeah.
1: Coming to your music and videos, or music for videos, yeah. you have developed a niche for your video productions, be it Nadi or Namami Yoga Vidye. Could you tell us how you approach for yeah. creating such videos?
0: I think that I've been in front of the camera a lot, you know, like with uh, films and like I've also done a lot of ad films when I was younger. So, uh, and I, I've always observed like how people work or what they do or uh, how they make decisions. And it's been of interest to me for quite a long time. You know, so like why a director will choose to put this and then put that or where do you zoom in? Where do you zoom out? And I I mean, I had a little bit of exposure to this when I went to my acting school. I studied in NYFA and I did some acting and they teach you a little bit about that. But I always had an interest in that as well because it's a different art form. It's not the same as choreographing for stage because the decisions that I make for stage are really not at all the decisions that I would make for for video. And um, they uh, so when I I like I take a long time to conceptualize and think Um, that's the longest process for me. Like I'll take months sometimes a year to actually think of the story or like something that means something to me. So and I I take a while to do that. And that comes from me just sitting quietly and thinking um, or imagining, you know. And um, after feeding myself with information, like say that I'm doing something on the Ramayana, I'll read the whole Ramayana. Let's say I want to think about the Ramayana. I'll read the whole Ramayana. I'll read some articles, something, something, everything. And then I just leave it. And then I think. And then as I think, Ideas keep coming, and that may take a month. That may take two months. It may take longer. So I allow that the time for ideas. So I have like a my productions, like my ideas book. And sometimes when I go back to an old one, suddenly it'll make sense, and because I've done the research on it. You know. So the the same goes for this. It's just that the all the initial process is the same of what I put on stage and what I do on film, and. Um, with the, with this yoga one, i i i didn't want it to be just yoga postures i knew that because i'd made a previous yoga video which was just physical because i i literally didn't have any time to come up with that i had 2 days uh to come up with the whole thing because there's my students at i was coming back from tour. like it was it's like it was very mad i i had oh, 2 days one day to listen to the music. I got it at night. The next day morning, I choreographed it and then we, we shot it at night. So it was, so I had no time. So I approached it from a physical perspective, that first one. I didn't want to do that with this, the next yoga video. So I thought I want to go into the philosophy of yoga, the idea of yoga. So I spoke to a lot of people and then I found out about um, some ideas. And then I thought, why do we always associate yoga with Shiva? Because yoga and is not necessarily Shiva in, in fact our gods are genderless. you know like we don't have a gender for ishvara so i can make a woman i can make it anything i can i can even make it an animal it really doesn't matter you know so everything is divinity so i said uh, fine i and i so then i thought about this this devi piece that i dance a lot on stage and i had just performed it a lot for shivaratri and it was just there in my mind. And, and there was something that had happened to me on stage. Um, that part in um, Namami Yoga Vidya, where in the yellow dress she opens the heart and then Devi goes, that had, um, because I improvised on stage, one performance that had like happened to me, like it had like, come upon me. So I was like, oh, that's a good moment. So um, So I based it off of that. And what um, had happened to me like on stage or what um, in my, I call it, I call it my mind. Yeah, not really. And I, I think it's, I guess I call it my my palace or whatever, my uh, the mental palace. So it's, so what happened to there I thought would apply very greatly for yoga yeah. because I didn't want it to show it as a physical form, but I wanted to show it as a, as a journey, an internal journey and we use hatha yoga as a tool that's all actually so yeah that's how it came so it's it's different like i look at more at what i i think in images for film and i think in movement in space for stage i always think about where i'm standing what is there what's the light
1: but any video Productions like this also, you know, is a lot of money involved. You you have to put your own, or do you look for uh, sponsors for this? You know?
0: So these two films that you specifically uh, specifically spoke of uh, were uh, commissioned by Indica Indica Films. Okay. So I they granted me uh, after they did that first video which they had me do. They were really happy and they gave me a five film grant. Uh, the only stipulation is I have to make it on Indic subjects. So I will be making a few more films for them.
1: Okay. Yeah. So recently yeah. YouTube has been updating their payment terms and policies and everything. Do you think for artists they can live off making money with YouTube from your experience?
0: I mean, I think it's very hard. Um, okay. I know some artists do do it, but it's very difficult. See, like, I started putting things up on YouTube because basically I, in this lockdown, I didn't want to dance, do those live shows. It's very bad online, you know. Like I, yes. I did two, and then I was like, this is not my thing. I'm not gonna do anymore. So the next request that came, I suggested that I pre-record it. So Iscon had some things, Infoserve had some things, other organizations had some things. So I said, I'll pre-record it. I'll, I'll dance it. I'll build dance the normal items like. Ma, um, Adaram Madhuram I did. I did Kalingan Arthanam. Uh I did attilana So I will do like normal uh, traditional Bharatanatyam pieces. But I will film it differently. So that the camera is like in your space and it moves away. And fortunately I have a friend who is amazing and we both work well together. So though they were normal pieces, I danced them outside like on my terrace sometimes. And like in my parents' farm or um, did that. So when that was done, it, um, and the pieces were done, I said, might as well put it on YouTube. So then there was some revenue coming in from YouTube, but a lot of the music are not owned by me. They're not even owned by my friends or musicians. I just take rights to dance to them. So the record labels make money uh, from it. So even though I have uploaded it, the record label makes money off of my dance. Um, I mean, I, don't, I didn't know all of this. Before, It's something that I'm learning now. So technically, I think you can if you create good content and you don't use pre-made music. I just use it because I like to dance and uh, I wasn't thinking of making money from YouTube. But it is something that I am considering because the lockdown is extending as far as performers are concerned, you know. I mean, there are performances happening. But they're not proper paid performances. They're not like, it's, it's, it's going to take a while for the arts. Let's just put it that way, you know. So, okay. um, I, and I am considering it. And I think it is, I think it's possible, but I think it's harder for classical artists because there are less number of people who, who watch, I mean, in comparison to popular culture. Uh, there are still a lot of people, but there are, just, there are fewer takers, that's all. And okay. that's okay. Uh, it's okay, but I think it's possible. Okay.
1: Yeah. In the past one year, we saw a major shift from direct classes to online teaching. Can you yeah. share your experience on moving to digital platforms? Because I see your website had already geared up for that, uh, even before pandemic, if I'm correct.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I made, a an online platform, which was like an OTT platform, uh for my pedagogy, which is, which I started named and started calling it the Radha Kalpa method about two years ago. And, um, it's because the pedagogy is very structured, both in terms of, uh, physicality, um, aesthetic, how you, Introduce aesthetic and develop it in a in a from a child to a thing, and as well as um, uh, in terms of the, how you introduce imagination and creativity. So uh, there are multiple things that happen. One is developing the strength and flexibility. Second is developing the skill. Then the skill and aesthetic. Then the imagination and all of that that is necessary that that is needed to be an artist and performer. So the the steps and the exercises and the thing I, I know are very unique because they were not taught to me, but they have come from a cumulative knowledge that comes from acting, from yoga, from Pilates, from Alexander Technique, a lot from me studying anatomy and physiology, and a lot from just my own experience of dancing and, and performing and practicing again and again. So when this structure was very clear, I figured I might as well document it and make it available because there are a lot of students who do my workshops from everywhere and they want to continue education and they don't have a way to do it. And I know that I don't have have the time to take regular online classes. And a lot of people were asking me for that. So I figured I'll make a platform that is pretty foolproof in the sense of the structure. And if they follow it properly and they are intermediate advanced dancers, they will... I will give in writing, they will have a 100% improvement um, because it is very, very clear how I introduced it. So I started it in January. Uh, Funnily enough, when the lockdown happened, it helped me because I'd already made the platform and my own students who I was going to teach, who I was teaching regularly in the studio, I moved them to the online platform. So it became really helpful. So my... um, My adult beginner students, I kind of suspended because they just started and that's okay. My advanced adults who were in my company, who also teachers and, um, you know, performers themselves, they're all okay on their own. I mean, they can message me whenever they want and they can come back. The only ones that I was worried about are my, my children who are in my professional program. And that would be too long. But this helped me a lot with them. So they would come to the studio Uh, If they were not okay, we make social distance and then they would go back and we would have class once every two weeks. So it kept something. And then they would use the online platform uh, to work on things and then they would come back. So it really helped me for that. Um, But I did also start online classes, uh, adult online classes. I am too scared to teach beginners online. I just still cannot bring myself to do it. Um, because there are too many things for them to understand. Even with intermediate advanced students, it's very hard. But I started a batch of intermediate advanced students in January, and definitely the main issue for me is that that lag in thalam. Because so when you do, then they do. But I think I'm getting used to it. Like there's an exact amount of delay. Okay. If it goes beyond, they're probably off thalam, you know. <laughs> you <can understand. laughs> So, uh, that is the one irritating part that we just cannot fix. Otherwise, it's okay. Uh, It's not too bad because I'm, I I say it's not too bad because I'm seeing improvement in all students. And um, I can see improvement in their alignment, in their thing, in their form and all of that. So, it's okay. Uh, And it's also nice because a lot of them who had never been able to come to my class are able to come. Okay.
1: Yeah. Now that you have been a performer, you have also been an actor, you have given your own video productions on YouTube and other platforms, you are a teacher. Considering all this, what is one thing that badly needs to change in the performing arts field?
0: Uh, I don't know, really. I think even if I name like five things that need to change, right? Uh, We will always have five more things. Um, so I think it's an, it's an endless cycle. So I don't really think that I'll be very honest. Like when I was younger, uh, in my twenties again, I would complain a lot about the fact that there's a lack of, uh, curated festivals in India and, um, uh, uh, it needs to be there. Like curatorially, it makes sense and all of that, you know? Um, And I was also very sad because I didn't have my mentors. Like my teachers passed away when I was very young. So I've been working by myself from when I was 21, uh, 22, you know, I think maybe I was 22. Yeah. So it's, uh, so I never had that, that figure who would push me, who would, you know, I've been like alone in the studio, uh, like for the last 15 years. So I've just been by myself you know, without my teacher. So it's, uh, yes, I think there would be, it would be nice to have more curated festivals. It would also be nice if we had more funding. Um, I think especially for um, some uh, large organizations that would ideally, you know, uh, fund, good students from small towns in India, because there are so many good dancers in smaller towns, but their careers kind of end before they even start because uh, they grow up, they get married, and they're not from the bigger cities like Bangalore or Chennai or, you know, so they don't get that push and coverage. They don't have famous like teachers who will push them into this and push them into that. So it, it doesn't, it's not an even playing ground. You know, so I think for me, that would make the biggest difference, Um, especially for Indian arts is if we are, if we had like, you know, like I always think of these large sporting organizations, right? They go to all these remote places, they identify talent and then they fund them and they grow them and they help them. I wish we had something like that for classical arts. So I always think that rather than wait for someone else to do it, it's better to try to do whatever we can ourselves. And even if it's small, you can do it. So that's what I try to do. So every time, like um, for those, um, for the last three years that were there, I had six of the dancers that were there on a full scholarship. So I would teach them for free and they moved on. They're teachers, they're doing their own thing which I'm, I mean, that's, that's great, right? And now this year, again, I've taken on um, three little kids who actually won this uh, dance competition that I was judging. So I asked them for their contact and I said they were excellent. So I said, um, let me, I I haven't announced the scholarship formally. We will do it from Radha Kalpa, But, um, uh, so I've taken them on and they are from smaller towns, actually, See, the thing is, it was easier because now this time it's online. So that's why I'm saying there's some things that are better. But otherwise, there would be too many logistical issues, right? For them to move from there to come here and all that. So now because this uh, choreography course that I'm doing for eight months is online, I gave it to these three kids who are from like Udupi and um, from Cochin and like a smaller smaller places and uh, who are wonderful. So I, I wish... Ideally, if there was a larger organization that had a lot more money that could pay them to go not just to me, to more teachers and kind of push them, I, I think that would be amazing. Yeah.
1: And that Actually, you have directly answered my next question also, You know, but if you have any, I'll give it a try, but you have answered it. Uh, what kind of entrepreneurial activities do you think will help support the system? One was, okay, this, the cause and everything, but the entrepreneurial side of it.
0: I don't know, really. I think as artists, if every one of us just thinks, what can we give back to the art? Not just for our own dance school or for my own dance children or just for me. But what can I give back to Bharatnatyam at large? Um, how do I make it a better space or like better things? You know, And I, I'm sure there's so many people who have asked this question. And they've come up with things. And I know, like, one of the things that helped me a lot when I was a kid was those um, um, those series that Kalanidhi Mami and Predashnikovan released. You know, I yes. was like 10 or 11. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Because we didn't have online. We didn't have, like, Google to reference all these things. We couldn't even get music. Because... If you want to go into the studio, it costs like 50,000 rupees to like record anything. So we couldn't record all these jowlis and they released these tapes and I was like, this is fantastic. So I think things like that really make a change in the field. I'm just citing one example. But I think if every single one of us just does something small, what may be seemingly small for us, or just things. Well, how can I better Paratnatyam, not for me, but for everyone. Um, I think, I think that will take care of itself.
1: Excellent. Yeah. You know, I really like the uh, final point, what you yeah. said. And that's, that's one of the things. And like, for example, even uh, cricket grounds, why cricket is so popular and everyone likes cricket is if you want to play cricket, it's accessible, the ground or the street yeah. is accessible. For performing arts, if we make something similar, that's more accessible and uh, you know then I think we will um, increase equality and also accessibility for a lot of students. So with that uh, I have to thank you so yeah. much for patiently answering uh, all the questions for the past one hour and so much uh, to learn from you, learn about you and uh, thank you so much.
0: Thank you Seidna, thank you lovely to meet you.
1: So. That brings us to an end of episode 8 of season 2, The Resilient Entrepreneurs. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation on Indian Artpreneur podcast. Do not forget to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook and Instagram for quick updates. We catch you soon on our next episode where we will be talking to entrepreneurs from performing arts landscape of India. Have a good day.